0: Even if they did it tomorrow, there's just no way that it's gonna—it's gonna—they're gonna just roll out the software and be ready to go tomorrow. There's like a whole other component of this that people aren't really thinking about when they hear the word electronic will. They think they can just sign it, you know, on Zoom. It's not that simple.
1: Welcome to episode 8 of the Wealth and Law Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Nelson, and as usual, I'm joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how's it going?
2: I'm good. How are you doing, Brent?
1: Yeah, we're doing well. We're we're continuing to homeschool, and we're continuing, as far as I know, to not flunk anybody out of homeschool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty good.
2: That's pretty good. and The the kids are enjoying it so far.
1: I think so. Yeah, we, everybody has their moments as I think is normal. I don't think we're unique there. How are you guys doing?
2: We're doing good. You know, we, we don't have kids. We just have the dogs, so they are pretty much in paradise now. (laughs) Um, I think our cats are pretty sick of this at this point, but the dogs can just have this go on forever and they will just be in heaven.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's our dog too. She's totally oblivious. Of course, she spends about 80% of the day sleeping anyways, even under normal circumstances. So this is right up her alley.
2: Exactly, same for mine.
1: (laughs) Well, we uh, have a very special topic today, electronic wills. And for that, we have a very special guest. And so we're joined by Jenna Rubin, who is an attorney in Florida, a partner in the firm of Gutter Chaves. She is a Harvard educated lawyer. And before that, she went to Northwestern. So, not too bad for somebody who couldn't get into Northern Arizona University. So, welcome, Jenna. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: it's our pleasure. So how are you guys doing? What, what's life in Florida like?
0: Well, we've got two three and a half year olds running the house. Um, my dog's not so happy because she doesn't get to sleep eighty percent of her day anymore. But you know, I might be flunking out of school, but they're doing all right.
1: Yeah, you're. Are you flunking yourself out of homeschool?
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully that improves. You've still got some time before the end of the semester to bring your grades up. I'll try. Yeah. Well, I thought that we would talk about electronic wills. It seemed like a very topical thing to cover, given the fact that everybody, for the most part, with some limited exceptions, are under stay-at-home orders and sticking around close to their houses or wherever they live and avoiding other people, and those two things are not necessarily congruous with traditional wills. There are a handful of states that have passed statutes that allow for electronic wills, and it just so happens that Florida is one and Arizona is the other. So I thought if uh, this makes sense to you, the two of you, that we would first talk about the kind of general requirements and then go into uh, you know general requirements of an electronic will, at least under the statutes as they are right now, uh, talk about some of the, the logistics that go into getting them ex- executed, and then talk about issues that we See maybe what the future of this area might look like in terms of the probate process, litigation, what effect it might have on the legal profession kind of generally, uh, and then how it extends, if at all, to other electronic versions of estate planning documents like powers of attorney and trust. So if that makes sense, I think we'll go in that order. Sounds good. All right.
0: So as we know, traditionally, a will required um, a testator to sign the document in the presence of, at least in Florida, two witnesses. And in order for the will to be self-proved, they would do a self-proving affidavit, which would also require a notary to be present. So in addition to the person signing your will, you've got two other people, in the or three other people rather in the room with the testator signing the will. Right now, given the situation that we're all in, obviously people can't all be in the same room the way they used to be. So people have become very excited about this idea of electronic wills in a way that maybe they weren't so excited before this crisis. And perfect timing in Florida at least, and I think in Arizona as well, we passed a legislation in both states allowing for the execution of wills and trusts and other documents, which we'll get into the distinctions of, remotely. And I'll point out for anyone listening who's from Florida, the Florida statute is very specific. It allows online notarization of all documents except estate planning documents as of January 1st, 2020. And the estate planning provisions only came into effect July 1st, 2020. So I get calls and emails pretty much every day asking if elected Electronic wills can be signed in Florida now and the answer is definitely not and that is not going to change. So July 1st is the effective date for electronic wills in Florida. But for states that have electronic wills now and in Florida as of July 1st, 2020, an electronic will is going to be a will that is done kind of like how you're looking at this podcast now if you're watching it on video where you've got everybody present but only present virtually so you would have two witnesses virtually looking at a testator who is signing an electronic will which is going to be some sort of electronic document on their screen and and the way the signature will work will be different depending on how the providers set these things up but there will be some sort of electronic signature that these two remote witnesses watch the testator sign and there will also be online notaries who are you know also present Electronically only notarizing the signatures of the participants, so nobody's in the same room as each other. You're seeing only whatever you can see on your, you know, computer screen. You know, your limited view of the room from your webcam. And those wills are going to be treated as valid wills, just like a will done um, in your lawyer's office in the presence of two witnesses and a notary. And they're going to be admitted to probate and. They're going to be fought about, and we'll get into all that, but they're they're going to be real wills, even though nobody was in the same room at the time they were executed. So real generally, instead of the in-person requirements, we are now having wills done completely online.
1: And I've seen some demonstrations put together largely by the companies that are trying to be the service providers for electronic notarization or remote notarization, and it looks like a Zoom call or like a FaceTime call, like everybody's kind of getting used to. And then the document, if you can imagine, then would be like almost like a screen sharing during a Zoom call where the notary controls a portal where the document is and everybody else has access to the portal. And then everybody creates their own electronic signatures. And then the notary has their own electronic signature plus uh, electronic seal, notary seal. And at the appropriate time, everybody then as prompted places their electronic signature into the electronic document like on a screen sharing so everybody can see it's happening until everybody's got these electronic signatures on the document with the electronic notary signature plus seal and now you have like a basically a pdf copy or electronic copy of a document that everybody has put their signatures onto
0: what i think is interesting in florida and i'm not sure if it's the same for you guys is when i think of the electronic will and what the document is i think of that pdf that has the you know the electronic signatures but for our purposes the actual electronic will is the file that contains the entire signing ceremony. So it's got the video and the audio recording of everybody in this virtual Zoom call or however you want to describe it. And the actual, you know, the clicking of the mouse where the, the different signatures show up on the screen. So it's a very different concept that I think people have to get their heads around that it's not just the PDF document. That's not the will. The will is the, the file.
1: Yeah. So can you, can you describe that then the full Uh, the full file or maybe the full process?
0: Well, it's hard to describe because we haven't done any yet and we haven't seen what it's going to look like. In Florida, it is going to require a little bit of a different process that not every state has adopted. I think every state has authentication procedures where the notary has to authenticate the who the, who the different pre- people are. So you'll have to show that they do a credential analysis where I think you're, you're literally like holding up a driver's license for the screen so that they can take a screenshot of it and run an analysis of your driver's license or whatever identification you use. So there's the procedure where the the notary does a credential analysis. There's a procedure where the notary also does identity proofing where they ask a series of questions and they're those tricky questions that say like in 1995, which address did you live at? And they're all like one number off and you can't remember for the life of you where you lived. So, you know, we go through, I think a series of like five of those questions and you only have a certain amount of time and you have to get them all right or you're, you're kicked out of the system. Once you pass that, there's also something built into the Florida statute Which I think is different than anywhere else. And that is, they're trying to get at whether or not the person who's signing is a quote unquote vulnerable adult, which is a very strangely defined term. Kind of basically says if you have any, if you need any assistance with any acts of daily living, you are a vulnerable adult. So, arguably, I think I could probably, as a litigator, get everybody. I know, under the category of vulnerable adult, but there's a series of questions where you're trying to identify whether or not that person is a vulnerable adult, like things like, are you under the influence of alcohol or drugs right now? Who's in the room with you? Things like that. Things like, are you a vulnerable adult? So the, the vulnerable adult's not gonna self-identify, but they try to tease out whether or not that person fits the statutory criteria for a vulnerable adult, at which point the software is supposed to kick that person out if they get any of the questions wrong and that they become a vulnerable adult. And then there's even a consumer protection warning that pops up on the screen. Danger, danger, don't do this if you're a vulnerable adult, which people are just going to click through. And then I think you're going to get kicked into what we described as a Zoom call or a FaceTime hangout where then the signing ceremony takes place, where the the document comes up on the screen and people are directed to sign in the different places.
1: Yeah, so then the kind of FaceTime call or the Zoom call portion of it becomes the actual, what right now for a traditional will becomes like the actual signing piece where you might have a meeting to execute uh, state planning documents now. Everybody would get together. You might have a conversation. Normally you would. Typically the lawyer would start the conversation with some questions to try to tease out whether... The person who's going to sign the documents actually has that day, the mental capacity to do so. And then, so all that being, I think the preliminary stuff that you're describing, Jenna, and that's exactly the way I've seen it kind of described to me by these service providers that have put together little tutorials. And then the actual signing part is more, yeah, what I was describing. So you you definitely said it more eloquently than I did. We have one distinction though. And Rachel, you can correct me if I'm, I'm forgetting this and it has to do with the witnesses in Arizona under the Arizona Statute where the witnesses and the testator actually have to be physically present in the same location. It's only the notary, say on one hand, and then the collection of the witnesses and the testator on the other hand that may be remote from each other. And they can still be signing an electronic document like we've been talking, but but the witnesses and the testator actually physically have to be in the same location when they do it.
0: So it sounds like that's not really going to work for an electronic will, because what you're trying to avoid is having everybody present. And if you've got to get three people in the same room, what's one more?
1: Correct. <laughs> that's that's part of the problem with our statute problem. Uh, I guess. Yeah, no. <laughs> depending on yeah, depending on your perspective on it, but it it sort of nullifies the utility of the electronic will from the perspective that it's not that difficult to find a notary. Mm-hmm. You really don't need to go to the ends of the of the earth to find a notary to show up and notarize for you, and so there's not so much added convenience by having an electronic notary available to then presumably officiate over this whole electronic signing ceremony.
0: It sounds like you guys did a better job if you're trying to avoid having people use your statute than we did here in Florida, because I think ours will be true electronic wills um, in the sense that nobody else is in the room. And I think it's gonna be interesting to see how these things play out when we see what they look like in real life.
2: I completely agree with you, Jenna. I think ours uh Arizona statute, you know, when you when you think of an electronic will and you think, oh, we're in the twenty-first century. This this should be easy. We can do things on our smartphone these days. And especially now the uh, COVID-19 and everyone's trying out Zoom and all these different types of video conferencing, it it seems like it would be so easy. And I feel like the Arizona statute definitely takes it a step back by having those witnesses be physically present in the room where I don't feel like we're we're not really just there yet at making it a completely virtual process.
1: I think I think there may be there may be one other hurdle at least in Arizona yet. Uh, Jenny, you can jump in and tell me if it's different in Florida, but the other hurdle is who will be the person who will make sure that A, all of these little nitpicky steps are followed, and then B, hang on to the file and produce it at the operative moment, which could be decades from now.
0: I think that's the big thing that people... People are jumping on this idea of electronic documents, electronic wills, whatever it is um, right now because of the crisis. And I've even noticed it within my own office because I've been living, breathing this statute because I'm involved at the bar level. I really you know know a lot about electronic wills because of that. And people in my own office are coming up to us like, why doesn't one of us just become an electronic notary? And, and they're not really thinking through. There are so many requirements, responsibilities that come with these things. In Florida, there's a much higher bond requirement and that's just one of many things you have to do to become a remote notary. You have to train for it. And just the responsibility of having to do the, um, I'm not sure, like if, if I became a remote notary and I took the course and I got the bond and I did everything, am I capable of doing credential analysis myself? Am I outsourcing that to some, you know, software And then how am I interfacing with the software and how much am I paying them to do the credential analysis? With the wills, I think it takes it a whole step further because our statute's very, very explicit about how long you have to retain things for and how you have to make it available if it's requested. And if you go out of business, you have to transfer your will file over to a successor. And it's not the same as handing over a paper file to somebody. I mean, you have to have the security measures in place to be one of these service providers. So I think what it's going to do is make it so that the only people who are really doing this are the big providers. I know I tried to find an electronic notary just recently, because I was home and people were asking me, and I actually just wanted to log on and, and do a fake document for myself to, to make sure I understood what it actually was like in practice. And I had a really hard time finding anyone who was even doing it. I found on Facebook groups for attorneys, some random paralegals saying they were electronic notaries, but I felt funny reaching out to them and just asking them to do a fake document for me. And then there were a few big service providers, but they're not many, and they're, they're, they're not a lot out there right now.
2: I think that's a really good point. You know, here in Arizona, we just started allowing remote notaries just a few weeks ago, and like you're saying, Jenna, I just the the infrastructure is not there yet. I don't Brent, Brent, and I I don't think know anybody so far who's uh, been able to do a remote notary who kind of have those systems in place yet. And, like you were saying too, with the custodian requirements on who's actually going to be keeping these electronic files, I think there's a lot in there in terms of looking at, like you said, like the liability, making sure the security setup, you've got the storage in there. And I completely agree that. You're going to see these big service providers setting up and, you know, hopefully they're going to create a system that will be easy to use and especially easy to use across the different states and varying, you know, with the different state statutes. But I guess we'll just kind of have to see at that point.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a matter of the, the large service providers being able to set up systems capable of handling these very nitpicky requirements through economies of scale because they're not going to be able to charge an arm and a leg to provide these services because it'll they'll outprice themselves where people would be better off economically just doing a regular will or even a holographic or a written will which is still permitted in Arizona and so i you know right now there are four states that have these statutes uh, Nevada Indiana Florida and Arizona i think are the four so four out of 50 is not really an economy of scale yet but I think if we start getting more states that adopt an electronic will statute and remote notarization, then the large service providers will have more of an infrastructure to support it.
0: I haven't followed it very closely because there's enough else going on right now in the world. But I know that a lot of states, whether by like executive order or emergency legislative sessions, are changing their laws like pretty immediately to allow for it. So I haven't paid attention to where we are now in terms of who's allowing electronic notarization or electronic wills. But I know there's been a major push in other states to allow it right now because of the crisis. And I think where a lot of us in Florida were looking at this statute six months ago and we were you know, concerned about some of the problems with it. We weren't sure how it was going to play out. I think we're in a totally different world now where, the, where I think people are going to look to use these things. And, and we have to take these things much more seriously now. Um, and I think it's going to be much more widespread than we were expecting it to be. So I think we're going to see a lot more providers pop up and some competition in the marketplace. One thing I've been thinking about and I want to hear your thoughts on is how the providers are going to work with the estate planning attorneys, meaning you know, is a client going to come to you and have you prepare a will and trust, then go to an online service provider upload your document and execute your document, or are they gonna be also buying, you know, Legal Zoom esque documents to execute on these websites and, and what is that gonna to do to us? I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit of our conversation, but it's just really been bothering me as we talk about, you know, people signing a will. What what will are they signing? Because I'm not sure.
1: Well, I my suspicion is it'll it would be a mix of both where you would have lawyers still preparing estate planning documents. I don't think that's ever going to go away. And then if they want to facilitate clients doing electronic documents, they're probably going to have to use a large service provider to do so. It's unlikely that a single law firm is going to have the capacity to have all of that electronic infrastructure in-house. You know, maybe talk about why that is the case, I, you know, I can explain certainly my thinking on it. But I think it's inevitable that these large service providers are going to either team Team up with, or be owned by, or affiliated with "quote unquote" legal document service companies like illegal LegalZoom, etc. Even though they technically aren't law firms and they technically uh, kind of skirt this line of not practicing law, they're still going to provide legal templates for people to use. And if you can do it online, it's just that much more convenient to use it. So they're they're going to find a ready market for it. I'm I'm certain of that. So let me let me maybe mention one thing because you you brought this up. And maybe we can dig more deeply into this, because I think the, the Florida rules and the Arizona rules have a little bit of a divergence, and that is on the requirements of the person who will be the custodian of this full set of, of electronic files, which really collectively are the electronic will, like just ex- exactly as you're describing, Jenna, the, the actual document, the signatures on the document, the, the video and audio recordings, the authentication of identif- identities, etc. all of that being the electronic will. In Arizona, that person is called a quote unquote qualified custodian. And the qualified custodian has to have a system that protects this file from ever being altered and that detects any alterations in the file if those are made. I don't know what system that would be. Maybe what they're thinking of is some sort of blockchain type application that will or that will use blockchain blockchain technology to to track who's having access and who can get gain access to these electronic files and, and if there's a change like tracking all of those changes. But I think right now where we are, we, we probably aren't to a point technologically where, at least in Arizona, a, under our definition, a qualified custodian could say, yes, I absolutely always meet that requirement.
0: Yeah, I think our requirements are similar to those where you're supposed to make it tamper proof and tamper evident and that you should know who's been in every file. I don't know who would be comfortable swearing that their security is that good. But I do know, at least in Florida, you know, these companies were a major part of the legislation process and participated in the drafting. And so I think from what I've heard, at least anecdotally, is that they were comfortable with how it was written and they're willing to take on the liability. I certainly wouldn't. I don't think any law firms will, like you said. You know, people have thrown around the idea that bigger law firms will have more of the, you know, financial ability to set up these systems themselves i don't think that's true i also just don't see anyone taking on that kind of liability it's it's too dangerous to be able to say that no one's going to be able to hack into your system and alter these documents and that you can swear when there's a later will contest that this was never touched it, it's just too scary
1: yeah i suspect that that will be the case with lawyers because we're so risk adverse to begin with you know we we really don't want to be on the end of some liability i could see law firms getting into it who are already used to, say, representing clients like banks that have very high security standards on their files and data that shows up in the files. So if, if the firm is used to using very high levels of security on client files, they might be more willing to accept and incorporate security systems that would allow them to become a qualified custodian. One of the, However, one of the requirements in Arizona is that the qualified custodian must maintain the electronic record for 100 years. That is a long time to commit to maintaining an electronic record and basically to committing to make sure that your electronic record is always compatible with whatever the technology is between now and 100 years from now.
0: I think yours is a little tougher than ours. I actually don't off the top of my head remember. Ours has two different dates, either like so many years after the end of the probate or after, you know, a certain amount of time. I think that's a little bit more extreme than ours is, which makes sense because Florida always does things a little bit more lax than everybody else. What was your second point about it the length of time? And then what was the other point you made?
1: Well, just the, the fact that, yeah, and we have sorry we have a shorter time period too I should clarify it's a it's the shorter of 100 years or like 5 years after the probate but if there's no probate and nobody knows the person died and you just have this document you have to hold it for 100 years now That is actually shorter than the current rule for original documents, which is, you have to hold it forever. You cannot get rid of it ever, period, end of story. So in in comparison to that rule, it's more lenient, but still 100 years is a long time and technology changes so quickly. How could you have any assurance that the system you have now will be compatible with the system that we have in five, 10, 15 years, even a year from now? And so you're committing to constantly making sure your technology keeps pace with the technology that exists between now and 100 years from now, potentially.
0: It's wild. And I don't see how anyone would feel comfortable doing it. But I guess that's why I'm a lawyer and not a tech mogul.
1: (laughs) That's what makes us lawyers and not business people. (laughs) Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about the execution requirements. We have some weird stuff in Arizona that Rachel, frankly, has been more on top of than I have, but uh, I thought it would be an interesting, I'd be interested in getting your take on it too, Jenna, like a little compare and contrast between Arizona and Florida.
0: Well, I think the main, you know, quirky thing about our execution requirements is that test I talked about for vulnerable adults. Um, that's going to be part of your electronic record and part of your execution. So where, you know, you might've had that conversation in your office with a testator, you know, try to figure out if, you know, they were subject of undue influence, how their mental capacity was, This is all now part of the electronic record and it's recorded. And I think that is totally a game changer when it comes to litigation later down the road, because you're going to have that all on video, that whole conversation. And that's now a... a, a requirement. You can't have a will without having that conversation. In terms of other requirements, I think it's just our standard wills. You've got the two witnesses and they're clicking to sign instead of signing. So I'd be interested to hear what's different in Arizona.
2: Yeah, I think just kind of going back, you know, our one really just oddball kind of requirement is that, you know, we're having those witnesses in the room, which, kind of defeats the point of having an elect- electronic will and trying to go virtual in the first place. But in, in, yeah, I agree with you, Jenna. in terms of the questioning, you know, we as as attorneys, we've kind of already debated this once, once before on whether you want to put your client on, on video for an execution of will. And, you know, I feel like some attorneys go back and forth on whether they are completely for that idea or some are completely against it. Some people just don't like to be on video. They, um, it's just not for them. And so, you know, bringing like with the Florida law bringing that in, I think that's a really interesting aspect. And you know we'll kind of see um, how that's gonna play out with Arizona and whether or not, you know, that might be one of ours or not.
0: Are your two witnesses supposed to be on camera? Like like I'm just envisioning like two people sitting over my shoulder. I mean, the, the, the scope of a computer screen or camera webcam is pretty small. So is everyone, is everyone actually supposed to be crammed in there on the video together?
1: I don't think the statute goes into that level of detail. It just says, as I recall, it just says that the witnesses have to be in the presence of the testator. So yeah, I mean, yeah, to your point, you could have a video that only shows one person at a time. You could have a video that's a very wide angle where everybody are just little specks because you've got Mm -hmm. such a wide angle to capture everybody. I assume that right now you're not going to have people sitting closer than, say, 13 to six feet together. So you're going to have to have a wide angle, even if you were going to do this. But we, for all practical purposes, you cannot do an electronic will in Arizona right now, not because of the statute on electronic wills, but more because of the statute and the rules on remote notarization. Our remote notary statute, was it's like Florida, it's supposed to come into effect On July 1, I I think it's technically like a a June 30 effective date, but, you know, effectively it's uh, it's July 1 and they released rules by executive order to basically to basically accelerate the certification or licensing process for notaries that are gonna be remote notaries. And that's all done through the Secretary of State in the state of Arizona. So the Secretary of State literally didn't have rules on this until a couple of weeks ago. And there's a whole application process that you have to go through before you receive your official seal and you have all the documentation that you need to certify that you are a remote notary or, or an electronic notary. And I just don't know how quickly that process is being utilized, I don't know of anybody who is licensed to do remote notarization in our state right now. I looked a few weeks ago when all this came out out like Eugen I couldn't find anybody maybe there's somebody now but even if even if somebody say was fine with and could get two witnesses in the same room for us and they could find a remote notary, there's still an issue of who will be the qualified custodian of the of the file and I don't know that there are any of those either. So we've you know I, I'm not saying that this is never going to be a reality. I'm just saying like right now, it's practically not a reality.
0: That's my answer when people are calling me because, you know, I'm I'm getting these phone calls. Why can't we get the governor to move the effective data? Why can't we just start doing these? People are really adamant that this should be a simple fix. Just change the statute, make it sooner. And people don't recognize on the back end that even if even if they did it tomorrow, there's just no way that it's going to it's going to, they're going to just roll out the software and be ready to go tomorrow. There's like a whole other component of this that people aren't really thinking about when they hear the word electronic will, they think they can just sign it, you know, on Zoom. It's not that simple.
1: Yeah, too true. Well, what do you think, or what are you hearing, or both, Jenna, on how electronic wills will be probated and whether they're more likely to be litigated than say, a paper or ordinary will? So
0: on the probate side, that I think is a little bit more of a practical question, sort of like what we've been talking about with the qualified custodians. I know our, we call it reptile, it's the Real Property Probate and Trust Law Section of the Florida Bar, has a task force on electronic wills, and we have actually a group of attorneys working with us who are liaisoning with our clerks of court, trying to f- work with them to train them on, A, what is an electronic will, and B, what do you, what do, you do with one? I mean... When someone dies here in Florida, we deposit the paper will with the court and it gets put into the actual court file. And then, you know, there's an electronic copy scanned, and that's what shows up on our docket if you're logging on from home. But there's a physical copy that somebody brings to the courthouse to deposit. I have no idea what a clerk is going to do with one of these files. Are they going to have all the different software systems in place to open those files? Because I'm envisioning it's sort of like a proprietary type of file that maybe you can't even open if you don't have access to that software. So all these different companies are going to have to partner with all the different courts and the clerks and be able to open this just open the document. Then you're going to have to train, you know, a probate clerk and the judges on what to look for to determine if they want to admit that will to probate, go through all the requirements of both a traditional will. And then what on top of that, what they need to do to do an electronic will. And then what does the court do with the file after that? Is it, is it sitting on a server somewhere? I, I have no idea. I think that's actually going to be one of the biggest challenges is for our clerks to figure out what to do with this. At some point, there was a discussion about whether the clerk should be the qualified custodians and we should build up our infrastructure for the courts to be able to do it. I think that's not happening anymore, but it was a discussion because it might make sense for them to be the ones holding it if they're the ones that ultimately have to deal with it. But I think probate's going to be very interesting when the first person goes to the court and tries to admit an electronic will to probate. I, I suspect the clerk's going to be looking for that, that PDF that I'm I was talking about in the beginning and they're they're not going to get that and that's going to be major shock to them. What are you guys thinking in terms of probate?
2: Brent, you can chime in if you think any differently but I am on the exact same page as you Jenna here in, in Pima County, Arizona, we are very traditional. We file original copies with the probate clerk. We 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 love our paper down here. And so to be able to switch over you know, to this Electronic file, like you said, which you know may have all these encryptions on it. The the size of the file may be really big for for data storage purposes. It's it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how the court systems are going to be able to process all of this.
1: Yeah, I uh, absolutely and nowhere in Arizona right now, to my knowledge, allows electronic filing in probate. So we basically have electronic filing in court for every other purpose other than probate for. Re- reasons that probably have to do with the need to file paper copies of wills, but frankly, as a broad proposition, I don't fully understand other than to maybe make my practice more difficult. <laughs> I'm sure that was uh, in everybody's thinking when they did it. But I think what's going to happen, unless unless we change the rules and we and the court creates the infrastructure that you're describing, Jenna, I think what's going to happen in Arizona is if you have an electronic will, the qualified custodian will print out a copy of the, the will or the record and certify it. And there's a way under our statute where they can certify paper copy of the electronic document, and then that paper copy of the electronic document will be the thing that is actually submitted to the probate clerk when they're submitting, uh, in our case, an application for probate. And I hope that that means you don't also have to submit, say, all of the audio file and the video file, et cetera, because A, I don't know that the courts are equipped to handle all of that electronic information coming at them, and B, it seems like a very inefficient way to have probates that are supposed to, at least under our rules, be very informal and fairly, not routine, but but easy in the sense that they're, they're supposed to be efficient right? There's an efficiency element that the our rules are trying to promote. So if the probate, say the probate clerk or the registrar in our case has to literally sit down and watch all of the video and listen to all of the audio to make sure that all of the requirements of the electronic will signing were actually captured on that video, it's going to slow up, The probate process. And so I hope that there's going to be a way to do this efficiently. And again, my suspicion is people are just going to print off a paper copy and the the qualified custodian will certify it and the court will accept that. And then if there's a litigation issue, that's when the full electronic file is going to come in.
0: So I think that's exactly what I was going to speak about is that I think because of that, the idea, so technically you can submit either the file or the certified copy of the PDF. I think the fact that people are going to be submitting these certified copies of the PDF because it's naturally the easier thing to do is going to naturally then invite more litigation because you're going to have courts admitting a will to probate that's simply a printout of a PDF without reviewing the actual file of the, the signing ceremony that is part of the electronic file and that's supposed to be the actual will for this purpose. So you're going to have people saying, challenging, I think to the extent there is something to challenge. every electronic will, unless it's a family that has nothing to fight about, but any family that has any disharmony, there's going to be a challenge to the electronic will because the court is admitting it to probate without watching that video and determining whether, for example, the questions were answered properly or whether the person was a vulnerable adult. I think I think so. I think every electronic will with any family disharmony will probably be challenged. I also think you're going to see every, every will contest will be count, I joke, count one, undue influence, count two, lack of capacity and count three, like improper execution of electronic will. You're just going to see it every time because, like Rachel mentioned, we, you know, we all have concerns about these video ceremonies and some lawyers like them, some lawyers don't, but I think most lawyers recognize there are problems with these video ceremonies and now we will always have a video ceremony to look at and fight about. And, you know, you could have somebody who's looking off the camera the whole time and you're going to say, well, who was she looking at? You know, she never looked at the screen the whole time. Who else was really in the room? Or maybe they misanswered one of those identification questions and they can use that to say, well, they clearly didn't have capacity because they didn't know where they lived in 1997. There's so much there to fight about that. I think in the next few years, as as these electronic wills maybe pick up and then people start to pass away with leaving electronic wills, we're going to see an uptick in probate and trust litigation. So I guess I, I shouldn't be complaining about electronic wills.
1: Yeah, it's going to be good for your business, Jenna. It's, it's interesting, which I, I totally agree with what you're saying about like, what counts are you going to see in the will contests? One of the things that In Arizona, I I don't think we're unique, maybe Florida is unique, but in a a typical will contest, yes, the execution requirements are a question, but then even the interpretation of the will, when it's in question, typically is constrained to the, the quote unquote four corners of the document, right? And unless you can prove there's an ambiguity either because somewhere in the words it's ambiguous or you can prove with other evidence that there's an ambiguity. You're stuck with whatever words were actually put down in the four corners of the document in terms of interpreting what the testator meant. Now, if you're doing electronic wills and you have a video and people can say anything during this video process and any off the cuff comment might create an ambiguity, I think it makes litigation fodder for challenges to even the interpretation of the will, even if all of the execution requirements were followed exactly.
0: I agree. I mean, I think we've all probably been in one of those will signings where you've got either someone who's kind of a jokester or an elderly old lady who just makes these comments that you're cringing inside and you're so glad that it's not on video. These are all gonna be on video now. Like the joke that they wish they were leaving everything to their boyfriend, who, you know, even though they're leaving everything to their kid, but they make that joke like, hee hee, I should be leaving it to my boyfriend. And now that's on video and now that boyfriend's going to come in and say, well, she clearly meant to leave everything to me. I think it's really dangerous to have these videos out there. I don't know what people are going to say and do and and how they're going to look. I mean, you know, people, sometimes the lighting, you look a little bit green in the face and then all of a sudden you were done on your deathbed when you signed the will. It's going to be really interesting.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, we're we're really guessing at this point, of course, but I think it's not too far of a leap because we have experience dealing with these kinds of cases already that you can see where if you change the element or you change the nature of the document, you're just changing the nature and the element of the arguments or the angles of attack of maybe the same arguments on that document. I actually think in that sense, maybe to change gears just a little bit and talk about the legal profession, selfishly, since we're all lawyers. I don't, well, let me, let me take two steps back. So I I was, I've been for, for several years and I was while our electronic will statute or several versions of the electronic will statute were being proposed. Uh, was very involved with our state bar probate and trust section. And even though we didn't take a very official stance on those proposed statutes, there were people within our section that we talked to who had created kind of ad hoc committees who then were kind of working with the proponents for these statutes. And there was an underlying concern, I think, for most people who heard about the statute, that the statute was essentially going to take work from lawyers and give work to non-lawyers, for all intents and purposes, technology companies, and that the general public, A, lawyers will be worse off. So, you know, we're not too happy about that. But then also the general public might not be protected because the lawyers are to a degree gatekeepers of making sure that the law is implemented correctly, especially when you're dealing with the testamentary document that may not be effective for decades. You know, you do it now, you might not die for 30 years. So to make sure everything was done according to the law and with proper protections for the testator, lawyers somewhat act as a gatekeeper. So I think there probably will be an element of attrition of some of this work away from lawyers and to the technology companies, to the service providers who will have the infrastructure. It is not going to change the litigation. And I think it's only going to increase the litigation, as we've been talking about, because it's only going to increase the number of arguments that you can make and the the new contexts in which you can start making those arguments
0: i agree completely um, from our state bar perspective we were involved and then kind of pushed out of the legislative process, then we were brought back in at the end, and it's funny because a lot of us that are involved and on the committees are actually probate and trust litigators who probably should be very for this statute, but for policy reasons, maybe we were less comfortable with it. I think we all recognize it's going to give us a lot more work, but from the planning perspective, I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I think you're going to see a subset of the population, probably younger people, maybe people with less money, at least right now where you've got such high exemption amounts, you know, the non-taxable type of state plans might be, you know, really interested in doing this. And if they're really cost efficient, they might, you know, you might see a segment of the population moving towards these electronic wills done, you know, through a form off of one of these systems. And I think you're going to see a lot of mistakes made. I think we've already seen, you know, LegalZoom's not new. We've seen the litigation over, you know, the the mistakes that can come about in these documents. You know, they they do an okay job for your basic plan and then they they kind of can miss a lot of details, the more complicated things get. So I would be interested to see, you know, especially with the younger population, how readily they try to adopt these these new ways of doing things and and what problems that creates for them, especially if they, you know, do a document now while they're young and, and the litigation comes about a long time from now over these files that were done you know with the when the technology was relatively new i think it's gonna be interesting
1: yeah definitely will be interesting now in arizona the will is not really for well for most people who go to an estate planning lawyer the will is not really the operative document to begin with and even though i think wills are very helpful and to the extent that electronic wills might open up the availability of these documents for a segment of the population that perhaps has been priced out by the legal profession, then I'm all all—I'm certainly all in favor of that uh, because I think it's important for people to do their estate planning. It's just that for us, and Rachel could fill in the gaps here if I'm missing something, but for us, wills, when we're doing planning, even for people of lower means, that's just not the main document. The main document is a revocable trust because there are other issues that we're concerned about that aren't addressed in the will.
2: I agree with you, Brent. You know, we, we really push that the revocable trust kind of be your main actor for your estate plan. And, you know, your will is, is absolutely ne- necessary document in an estate plan, um, but it really just kind of supplements all the provisions that are in your trust. And then in addition to your trust, your powers of attorney are just as important to make sure that, you know, during your lifetime, you have an agent who could take over. Um, if for some reason property isn't funded into your trust. And so it, it will be interesting to see how many people really jump off on board with this. I agree with you, Jenna, that we'll likely see the younger generation kind of hopping on board since this is, you know, a new kind of virtual thing that younger generation just likes to do. But I think it's definitely people just have to be aware that it is new. And because it's new, there aren't a lot of court decisions out yet. We haven't gone through that litigation phase. And so, you know, you don't want to be that guinea pig. You don't want to be the person who a state plan fails because for some reason you didn't hit one requirement or like, you said if there's going to be litigation involved someone is able to argue a certain point against the electronic data.
1: So, uh, and I was under the impression, Jenna, that the Florida statute actually goes beyond wills to a degree and encompasses things like powers of attorney and some trusts. So, was I understanding that correctly?
0: Yeah, that is correct. Uh, trusts that don't have testamentary provisions can be signed now electronically using an electronic notary if there are any and somebody's willing to do it. Uh, anything with testamentary provisions where you would need, you know, the, the, the requirements of a will you would have to have in your trust will be able to be executed remotely starting on July 1st. And that will also include durable powers of attorney. The only difference on our durable powers of attorney, which kind of is like your will statute, is if you have, we call them the estate planning superpowers. I don't know if that's a weird Florida thing we do, but when you have a durable power of attorney that has allows the agent to do estate planning, we have certain requirements when you do an in-person one where you have to actually initial specifically those powers. And if you're doing one of those electronically, you'll have to have the two witnesses in the room physically present with you. That was sort of the only place they were able to work that into the statute. They weren't successful on wills, but they got it into the durable power of attorney statute. So those will be able to be electronically notarized but you'll need the witnesses present. For healthcare surrogates, I think you could do those electronically now and you don't even need a notary. So those those are okay. So I think yeah, our statute's pretty comprehensive about it, including anything disposing of someone's property at death, powers of attorney, healthcare surrogates, living wills all the, you know, the normal documents we're doing in an estate planning package are going to be covered by the statute.
1: Yeah, we're not quite as comprehensive. So we don't uh, we don't say anything about electronic signatures on powers of attorney, living wills, trusts. I think we've always really allowed electronic signatures on trusts, for example, and trusts don't need to be notarized in Arizona in order to be valid. So that was never really a huge issue. Durable powers of attorney typically do need to be notarized, have to be acknowledged. A healthcare power of attorney doesn't even need to be notarized. So you can get away with just having a witness. And I think you could probably get away with just having electronic signatures as long as it's not an issue for the hospital. I think that's really where most, if a power of attorney, for example, doesn't work, it, it fails because the person you're giving it to is suspicious of the document. And so maybe that's the one caveat that if, if this is so new and so fresh and so unknown, maybe not within, say, an estate planning circle of practitioners, but now imagine you're handing this document to a bank and there's in-house counsel at the bank who knows nothing about any of this, you might be setting yourself up for a rejection of the document if you're trying to do, say, a power of attorney that's electronically signed. So there's, there's, I think there's that little caveat to anything I mean, outside get, of the will.
0: We get um, our durable powers of attorney rejected by banks, even though they're done in our office and they're done perfectly correct and, yeah. and follow every statute. And we've been doing them for a million years the same way. Banks are rejecting them. So I can't see banks like welcoming this stuff with open arms, even though legally they're probably supposed to.
1: Yeah, we're the same. Well, I appreciate it, Jenna. Well, where can people find you? What's your uh, contact information?
0: I am in Boca Raton, Florida, as you said. I am at the law firm of, I'll say the whole name, Gutter, Chaves, Joseph, Ruben, Foreman, Fleischer, and Miller. We do both estate planning and the probate and trust litigation. About half of our firm focuses on litigation, and we also do probate administration. You can find us at floridataxtax.com, and my email address is jrubin, R-U-B-I-N, at Awesome.
1: And do you have a blog still?
0: I do. It is reubenonprobatelit.blogspot.com. There you go. Thank you. Remind Very me. good.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully, anybody who has issues in Florida and needs somebody who's obviously knowledgeable about Florida laws uh, will reach out to you, Jenna. And I can't thank you enough. Really appreciate you taking time to talk with us.
0: Thank you for having me. It was nice to see you guys.
1: If you're enjoying what we're doing with the podcast, please subscribe and follow us on social at Wealth and Law and follow our blog, WealthandLaw.com. See you there.